to Death and Aliens, an in-depth look at horror and sci-fi TV from two cousins who vaguely know what they're doing. I'm MK. And I'm Monica. And this week we are talking about Hemlock Row, Season 1, Episode 8. Catabasis. I forgot how to say it again. <laughs> Catabasis. It was released on April 19th, 2013, directed by David Strayton and written by Brian McGreevy and Lee Shipman. So, uh, writers, same as most of the season. The director has um, quite, a, quite a stellar uh, repertoire of mm -hmm. directing credits. Um, he directed five episodes of Charmed, three episodes of Angel, one episode of Dead Like Me, which if you haven't seen, you totally should. One of the best shows ever. Uh, ten episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, an episode of Heroes, two episodes of Dollhouse, four episodes of Fringe, and an episode of Bates Motel. All before directing for Hemlock Grove. Um, he also spent five years working on House. He directed 16 episodes of House and he has 85 total credits. So uh, he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So I went into it. Pretty, pretty, good, pretty good mindset. Pretty good mindset. And also, um, fun fact about the word catabasis, which they do explain it in the episode, but also, of course, I looked it up because it's me we're talking about. Um, it is in Greek mythology, it is the hero's journey to the underworld to overcome something that then takes them back to their path to whatever, blah, blah, blah. It was in the Odyssey and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but also, and fascinatingly, in modern psychology, it is determined, like, it is the word that they use to describe the depression that is, exists in young men who grow up without father figures while they're trying to struggle to come to terms with what being a man or an adult male is. Which is very fitting for our young friend, Roman Godfrey. Yes. I mean, and also, like, I can't, I mean, I, I get why that word, being the Greek origin that it is, would describe that journey. Because, like, the Greek hero has to, like, encounter death or the depths of hell and come out of it to, like, become a hero. So, like... Young man has to like go to the bottom to get to the top. Mm. Um, so knowing that this um, this hero's journey is about to happen, and looking at David Strayton's credits, and also just hoping against hope after the last three splendidly awful episodes we were like we had some pretty high hopes going into this week's um episode which is 
which is good. I haven't felt this excited about an episode that we've done in the past yeah, three weeks. Literally, this was, the first, this was the first time in, like, weeks that we were like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to start it. And I would have to say, overall, I was not disappointed. Yeah. Like, of course, with any with anything, nothing's going to be, like, perfect. Yeah. But it's definitely refreshing to know that we probably were just in a mid-season lull. And yeah. we're possibly getting out of that. I can't say for sure if it was just on the writers, like, writers and directors part for getting us out of that weird little lull that we were going through. Or if the story's actually shifting and starting to become more. Yeah. And, and also, like, the later seasons are only 10 episodes, where this one is 13. And a lot of, like, Netflix series, because they're able to pack so much in, have things that only have, like, 8, 10, 11 episodes per season. So 13 is kind of... A lot. A lot. And we were just doing, like, 6, 7, 8, like, right in the middle. So... Oh my eye itches. Oh, love Great. I love it here. Love allergies. <laughs> so we shall embark on our hero's journey. Sorry. Almost, that's that's what you want to call it. I'm still pissed off at him for last week. Yes. But also, they didn't not address it. Like, they didn't address yeah. it, but they didn't not address it. it. It'll make sense later. Okay. So, Netflix blurb. After drunkenly attacking the Godfrey Institute, Roman falls into a coma and embarks on a subconscious journey of shocking truths and revelations. Dun, dun, dun. It's right there goes to show that the title of this episode was actually very well picked. Yes. Very well. I'm just trying to blur. There was a few episodes that we had had um, watched where the episode name really didn't tie into anything in the episode. Or like there was the one, um, I think it was episode five, yeah, episode five, Hello Handsome, where it was literally just what she said to the worm. I was like, yeah. yeah okay, okay. But, um, so yes. So, we start off with Roman, like, literally, we start off directly at the end of the last episode. Roman is leaving Ashley's house. Um, and he's still, like, raging. He, like pukes in her yard and he gets in his car and he's swearing about Peter and he's still like super duper angry and he's driving too fast and he's being all kinds of an a-hole and then he crashes his car into a fallen tree and when he realizes his car isn't gonna like work he tries he goes to call somebody and then he looks up and he sees Godfrey Tower. So he decides to throw his cell phone across the road and just wander on foot to the tower. Opening Makes credits. Sense. 
makes sense. You know, the logical the logical explanation when you're drunk and angry is to just. Yeah. Well, I don't think he was really. He was on a coke binge. Yeah, I mean the blurb says he's drunk. Oh, wouldn't surprise me if he was either. But he is also on a coke binge as well. Yeah. He's on what one might casually describe as massively fucked up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So, he gets to the tower. He does his little friggy eye thing on the guard, steals the guard's, like, key card. And just starts like wandering around. He sees these really weird deformed rats that I don't know why they gave us a close up of because I did not really need to see that. I thought it was a ferret. Well, the the ferret was being injected with something, but like those the that first like row of like things in cages, they were like rats that were like the size of ferrets. Like they were just really weird looking. Yeah, it's to show that they're experimenting. They really want to knock it home that they're experimenting with something to do with, like, genetics on these animals to show that they're, like, even though we probably didn't really need that to know that, they're just, like... I mean, I guess it was one of those, like, just, like, visual clues, reminder, things are sketchy here. I I didn't hate it. I just didn't really like it because... I didn't like seeing them because personally, because I thought they were gross, but I, I get it. So then Roman gets to this uh, section that is like yellow caution, don't go here. Yeah. Emergency personnel only type door. So he takes a blowtorch to, you know, just break but I also am very curious as to what on earth he thought was he gonna was accomplish. Yeah, because what? nothing about make any sense. No, it was it was a rather thick reinforced metal door with a biometric lock. And the blowtorch was right there, which means my guess is that it's not going to break that door. Yeah. Just just a thought. And and he's on a coat drunk. He doesn't know any better. Right. Clearly. So Dr. Price goes to stop him. And uh Roman is just like shouting about the Ouroboros and it's like show me the or- show me Project Ouroboros, show me. And uh Dr. Price is like playing dumb. And I really loved Roman's response. He just drew the snake on the door and was like, you know, the, right. the thing that he didn't they- even draw. He just kept drawing a circle because he was so frankly this, the thing, the thing. Um, I, I kind of enjoy Crackhead Roman. Honestly, it kind of it's it's slightly entertaining, slightly entertaining. Yeah. Um. But Roman is like, no, it has to be real. You have to show it to me. Like, I keep dreaming about it. 
Uh-huh. And he was like, well, he, oh no, he said, why does it keep showing up in my dreams? And Dr. Price is like, what a fascinating question to ask. So he decides to show him Project Ouroboros. I'm real mad that they showed him, but not us. Oh, yeah. So they go down to this weird vault thing, and it's creepy, and there's no, like, anything going on, and there's this weird, like, cage with blue light coming out of it, which, I am so sorry. Um, I did appreciate that it was, like, a blue light, because it kind of reminded me of Shelly, and I was like, uh, connection, I don't know. Um, so Roman is looking into this cage with the blue light and is freaking out. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, is this real? Like, how are you? What are you? They started to get like really angry. And Dr. Price chokeholds him and shoots him up in the neck with some drugs. Yep. Which is not out of character because remember earlier he showed uh, like clementine that he has that weird like hulk strength all the time yeah i just didn't really expect him to like be like let me just put some drugs in your neck put you literally throw you into a coma yeah it was um it's cute, cute, cute. Uh, so the next scene is Peter waking up in the morning, all uh, happy and smiley, and he uh, he says another thing that you know makes it sound like him and Roman were dating, where he says um. He says to his mom, I really love this quote, do you ever have a toothache that you didn't realize how much it hurt until it was gone? And his mom's like, I'm so proud of you for not being friends with him anymore. And then she picks up a cup and she's like, oh, that's not my shade of lipstick. You're making friends all over the place. And he tells his mom that his new lady friend is a uh, Letha Godfrey and Linda. It, it, it sounds like Lisa, but with the list. <laughs> but it was funny. But she's like, she she literally is just like, you uh, you think that's really a good idea? And she's like, how does he feel about it? And he's like, and Peter is like, he doesn't matter. I couldn't care less what he thinks. So you know, basically like. Revenge dating after you break up with the love of your life. Yeah. Uh, I'm, to, to I'm, I'm like, I'm convinced. Oh, bro, say. So. That's a fairly short scene. Honestly, most of the scenes that are not about Roman in this episode are very short scenes. Mm-hmm. Except for one that I still am mad about, but we'll get there. So then we go flashback to Roman, and he is trapped in the bottom of an empty pool, and he's freaking out. And then, turns out, it's really just in his head, and he's in a coma. Mm -hmm. 
and Olivia comes obviously to the Institute to like see Roman and everything and Price is telling her what happened um, excluding some fairly important details just like casually neglects to mention that he uh, choked the shit out of him why would we need to know that Also, um, for our, our just our listening friends, um, Boo has made a guest appearance on the podcast today. Boo is my dog. <laughs> Hi, Boo. Um, oh, but when what happens when he explains what happens is Price says to also that was a horrible sentence. What happens when he says what happens? Way to go. Um. <laughs> Price tells Olivia that he gave him a sedative um, because he was on a narcotics binge and freaking out, um, but that him being in a coma is not a result of the drugs. It's a self-induced coma, which I thought was a lie at first, but I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like it's not just him putting himself into a coma. I feel like Price gave him something to keep him out a lot longer than what he should than he probably should be. But I don't, I don't think so. Like I really I really do think it was just Roman throwing himself into it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I mean, you see it in, like, actually, no, I'm thinking of a show that's not even a sci-fi show. There was this um, episode, spoiler alert for anyone who uh, is currently trying to get caught up on the 2015 version of CBS's MacGyver remake. I love that show. Lucas Till plays Angus MacGyver. He's a babe. Um, but in the last season of MacGyver, uh, he is trying to figure something out. And so they like, basically like force him, they give him, like, they give him this like medicine that like force comas him. And he's like living in a dream in his head to try to like use his subconscious to like put pieces together to like solve the problem and I feel like that's what Roman's doing only it's not with technology because this show's like not about technology it's about like weird creepy magic and science stuff so I don't know I don't know um then we go to a mechanic shop where Clementine is being Clementine and putting her nose where it doesn't belong because she's not an officer. And she's like just investigating this car accident and asking all these stupid questions. And Sheriff Sworn comes over and was like, listen, your badge says fish and wildlife. So if it's about fish, 
or wildlife, you're welcome. If it's not, keep your nose out of my job. I'm done with you. Yeah, she she's she's testing the police department's patience very she's much. My patience. She's been testing Ryan since she stepped foot on the screen. Like I, but the thing is, is that she needs to understand if this, if what she's here for, is, which um, we'll find out. Like we'll uh, let you guys know probably in about ten fifteen minutes. But um, the she for what she's there to do. She's not doing a very good job at getting that at all. Which I think might be more deliberate than not. It, no, it, it could very well be deliberate, but she's like ruining her connections by overstepping boundaries, yeah. I think. No, there was one moment toward the end of the episode that we'll talk about that makes me think that she's deliberately messing up. But she's testing everybody's patience, including mine's and Mary Kate's. I've never. No, that's not true. Definitely hated characters like that strongly before. But like every time she's on the screen, I don't want to watch it anymore. Felt well, felt that so much. Um, so, Olivia has decided, in her infinite wisdom, that instead of leaving Roman at a medical facility to, uh, get out of his coma, which in this case, I don't necessarily say that I blame her, because Dr. Price is clearly up to no good, but she decides he shall recover at home. You know, as one does, and just brings their child in a coma to their house. Um, and then she just gets like real weird, and she's like laying him in a place where the first thing he'll feel when he wakes up is the sunshine on his face. She starts talking about birds and like strength and sorrow and just like a lot of weird stuff she is a mess yeah she she's either completely spiraling which 100 percent she is um but once again being her weird cryptic self and speaking like we're in the 1600s and old victorian ages where you put your child by the window so that they feel when they wake up they feel the, the light of the sun grace their cheek like who are you talking to like that? Not me. And clearly not, your and clearly not Shelly either, because Shelly was not having that. Shelly was looking at her like, what are, literally, what are you talking about? Shelly, I feel like, represents the audience when they watch the show half the time. Shelly... Angry. I... I love Shelly. But after this episode, I have very confused feelings and thoughts about Shelly. Um, I went, I had a mid-allergy attack, but I put my glasses on to try and prevent me from stop itching my eye. It won't work. But for those of you 
for our American Horror Story fans. These are my Oliver Thrudson glasses, and I love that for me. I'm not wrong. I am doc- I'm not Dr. Oliver Thrudson. I would rather die than be that character. But it's still funny to me. <clears throat> and as someone who has never watched a single episode of any season of American Horror Story, I have no idea what she's talking about, and we'll continue to go on with our episode recap. <laughs> so, Olivia leaves the room in a state, because that's what she does. And Shelly... Oh, Shelly. My heart broke. She starts typing on her little phone and just telling Roman, come back. You promised you would never leave me. Come back. And I was so sad until I was immediately so confused. (laughs) Because here we start the real nonsense that is this catabasis. And um, Shelly, but not like Shelly, like we see her, like a cute little young, like probably what Shelly would look like if she wasn't having been brought back to life, um, <clears throat> was, is telling Roman that like she's basically like his spirit guide, like the, the Virgil to his Dante, like, and she is, which is interesting because that will come up again. Um, but she's like his spirit guide through this underworld journey. And she tells him that he's not going to be able to come back until he looks inside and finds the monster and destroys the dragon. Which, it, once again, we're talking about dragons. But I don't think it's the Order of the Dragon type crap. I think it's just like a metaphor for the the beast that is inside of him. No, but I think it might be related. But, like... Very, um, obscurely trying to... I don't know. I don't really fully... I mean, at this point, I really don't understand anything about this show. I'm gonna be completely honest. Feel that? I don't pretend to. I just talk about it. So... Then we go flashback to real life, or what I think is real life. I'm very, okay. Here's the scene that almost ruined the episode for me. Our favorite human, or not human, I don't know if she's human. I don't know, I don't know anything about her. I hate her. Clementine is, um, just like, you know, snooping through Peter's house with nobody home, carrying a gun, just like acting like she owns the place. And I was like, oh, cool. So we just walking up into people's houses now. It's coming time. She did it with Peter, not Peter. She did it with uh, Roman too. Like she just walked into his house and she was like, I'm going to ask you some stuff now. That's like her man. I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. And it makes me not like her character even more than I already 
But, like, I mean, at least we know she's not a vampire because, like, she can walk into people's houses. Yeah, true. Um, does her friend show up here or the next time? Here, because okay. this whole scene well, is, like, one whole thing. And then, no, then there's a break. Oh, there's, there's like a break. Short- yeah, okay. So while she's walking around the house, she hears a noise and she starts freaking out. And she hides behind a cabinet and gets her gun ready. Like, I don't know, if Linda or Peter walked back into their own house, she would what, shoot them? I don't like Clementine. But instead of, you know, anyone who lives in this house walking into their house, her weird old man priest friend just shows up. Like, what are you doing here? Apparently, they have a sit-down. Pow-wow. And she's like, why are you here? And he's like, well, after we got off the phone, I was worried about you. Because a few episodes, they had a phone call where he was like, are you drinking alcohol again? And she's like, no, as she's swigging from a flask. Like, you know, like a liar. Hashtag John Mulaney. Anyway, um... <laughs> uh, yeah. Then we move on to what I thought was a really cute, like, normal family scene. Letha is studying and she is asking why her dad never talks about her uncle. And her mom's like, well, you know, like, it's really hard for him to talk about. Like, he's a great psychiatrist, but, like, sometimes he needs somebody to shrink his head. And then Letha's pretending to be her dad. She puts on glasses and is, like, pretending to be her dad. And then he gets there and he's, like, joking around with them. And it was actually, like, a really cute, like, normal family scene. And wouldn't it be immediately ruined by his phone ringing and Olivia calling him? Oh, yeah. When is anything not ruined by Olivia? When it's ruined by Clementine. Fair. Um, but granted, at least Olivia wasn't calling for, like, the D. Yeah. This time. She was calling she had to tell uh, Norman that his nephew is in a coma. A potentially self-induced coma. Yeah. Then, uh, as Norman is headed there, we get another little glimpse into Roman's head, and, um, um, it's just still him and Shelly, like, wandering through hallways and stuff, and I only have one note about this, but I found it interesting because there was a close-up on a TV screen, and a top was spinning, Mm-hmm. But it was the same top that Leonardo DiCaprio's character uses as his token in Inception. So, like, and it was spinning. So, like, in a dream. Because in Inception, it's like, if it's spinning, if it stays spinning, you're in the dream world. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like that little. Like that little, uh, little insert there. Um, but, uh. Norman, once, so Norman and Letha go to check on Roman, 
and then Norman asks Olivia if they can talk and he's like grilling her and he's like what was Roman doing there like why was he there what was he looking for what do you know about Project Ouroboros? Why does Roman know about this project? What is, like, Norman knows that Roman knows more. Yeah. So. And uh, Olivia kind of, like, loses it and, like, is leaning on Norman for support. And Shelly sees them from the top of the stairs and, like, has a little grunt, a little growl of upsetness. And I had a realization that I don't know if Shelly being uncomfortable with them is because it's her mom and her uncle or if it's because Dr. Price told her Norman was was not looking out for her. Yeah. But she seems very on edge. She's got an issue, and I don't know what her motivation in her issue is. And I think that's kind of the whole point, because I feel like it's all yeah. going to come out. After. Right. So then we flash back to Clementine and the priest. Clementine is just like laying out all everything that she has found out so far about this town and the people in it and blah 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 and she has like a really strong gut feeling that Olivia is a bigger problem than they're letting on and the priest is like no leave Olivia out of it she's a distraction stay away from her focus on Peter that's why you're here And I literally wrote, I hate them both. But there was one thing that they said that I did like, and that was that they were talking about, or he quoted Dante's Inferno to Clementine. And Clementine yelled at him and was like, why are you giving me Inferno right now? And he was like, Dante had Virgil to help him. Let me be your Virgil, which was an interesting parallel to Shelley being the spirit guide for Roman as he wanders through the layers of the underworld. Yeah. So. So many literary references this week. <laughs> um... So now we go to the the underworld scenes. We have kind of a long chunk of just Roman's journey now. And um, so Roman's in the hallway with Shelly and they see a door that says, I don't actually know if it said dragon on it or if it said Draco. But that is the Roman word for dragon, so it doesn't really matter. Um, But so he opens the door to begin his journey. And the first place he comes to is this like fancy 
English garden thing. And um, someone is kneeling at like a altar, cemetery, something looking thing. And it turns out to be Clementine. She's got blood on her face. And she, she says like in every culture, women go through blood rights to become a woman, whether they're ready or not. Like basically saying like women don't get a choice to go from girls to women. They get their periods and that's how it happens. But for men, cultures have ritual to teach them to be a man. And that's what Roman has to go through now. Um, and she draws an Ouroboros of blood on his chest. And then she like shoves a silver spoon in his mouth and then rips it out. And it's like the, uh, she's like the monster doesn't give a shit about your nobility. And it's like a little aggressive TBH. Yeah, Clementine just being Clementine being um, absurdly aggressive for zero reason in this scene. Like, I also don't have any clue why she's even there for well, his journey. Well, Shelly said that all of the people you blame for your problems are behind that door. And, like, in... I don't see how, I don't see how he blames her because I know that she, he wanted to help. But she thinks that Peter is a werewolf and that he did it. Mm. But also, like, so in, like, Dante's Inferno, in the idea, and, like, in Greek mythology, in the idea of going through the underworld, like, the layers go from, like, least to greatest, basically. So, like, he's filtering through his problems from the smallest to the biggest, and Clementine is, like, the smallest of the problems of people he's blaming, but he's still blaming her. Yeah. And also, Clementine did say something, um, something else to a Roman in this time where he's, she says, do you really think Peter's going to sit there and cry over you? Did you really think that? Oh, yeah, because she was saying he's not a man yet. Like, you're still a boy, you're not a man. And basically saying that Peter's more of a man than he is, which is obviously, like, feeding into his, like, jealousy of Peter and Letha. Yeah. So then he, like, runs away from her and goes to, like, the next level of his, his underworld. And he is at a desk with uh, Norman, who's, like, giving him basically, like, the patient treatment. Um, Um, and like, but he's like, uh, sorry, I'm looking up something that the doctor said. So he's talking to this, um, Swedish psychologist who is, um, talking about, uh, things that, um, he's going to have to go through and um, 
like what it means to be is separating your conscience from your unconscious and how like even though he is in this dream world he has to like look through the landscape of the dream to find clues to reality and like basically kind of explaining the uh the Alice in Wonderlandness of it all yeah um but one of the interesting things he says is he mentions I can't remember exactly how he said it because I didn't have time to write the whole quote down, but he says something about primordial darkness, which is often used in equation with the Greek gods of light and dark and like balance and the Ouroboros is like the refreshing of balance. And so it's like more of this, this, I don't know the symbolism that I still don't fully understand where it's going. Yeah. Like they, they're really hammering home on this whole like refreshing, restarting this ba- a balance between like both sides of whatever this is, or trying to show maybe a balance of inside Roman that he's battling with. Yeah. Um, but we're not entirely sure where it's an alliance. Like we are eight episodes in and we still have no real clue that what the Ouroboros is like, like concrete representing in this show yeah besides a project that none of us know about at this time yeah um but uh then norman questions roman he's like if this is your dream and you're confronting your problems why are you talking to me and not your mom and then jr shows up and is like, yeah, where is that bitch? I want to give her a piece of my mind. Right. So then the next scene, like, was really powerful, genuinely. And, like, I think it was, like, the beginning of Roman, like, Roman's real discovery in this dream. Um, because JR is basically, or, like, because Roman's basically, like, you're a coward. You left me alone why should I listen to you? Which was dad. He's like, you took the easy way out. And, um, JR is like giving him warnings. Basically. He's like, isn't it weird that you've never met anyone on your mom's side of the family? Don't you think that they would want a part, like something to do with you? Don't you think it's weird that nobody knows anything about her? Like, think about it, look at her. And he's like, she's like basically giving Roman the same warnings he gave Norman in that letter that Letha found. Uh-huh. And um and he's like and Roman's like, but you left me alone with her. Why would you do that? And he's like, because I thought it'd be better for you. He's like, it wasn't better for me. You didn't give me a choice. And he's like, okay, fine, I lied. It was better for me. I got and JR goes, um, but if you have all these problems, you can always talk to Norman. He's your real dad anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, that, then, the, then, then, and then the dream, then they come out of the dream. Like, 
okay, cool. We just found out that Roman's actually Norman, so Lisa and Roman's weird cousin incest feeling that's going on is actually half-brother, half-sister incest feeling that's going but on. But also, like, worse. the thing is, on the one hand, this dream is supposed to be leading him to truth and revelation, and so obviously that's probably true. But on the other hand, how do we know if it's true? Because it was a weird fever coma dream. And like, what? And then that's all we're gonna, that's, we don't address it again. Yeah. I don't know if it's gonna get addressed when, I'm gonna assume when Roman gets out of the coma. Well, yeah. Oh, there but are three more. I forgot there was one thing that the weird Swedish psychologist said before JR showed up that was actually very, very important, I think, for what Roman's going through. He said, if you let out too much of the animal, you stop being a human being. But if you let yourself become too cultured, you just make a sick animal. Which I was like, wow. Makes sense. But also, like, sick animal. And, um, who is the most cultured character on the show who is afraid to be at any point any of their animalistic tendencies. I'm trying to think. Is it Roman? No, I don't think I don't think it is. I think it's Olivia. Olivia being the Vargal. I mean think about it. That twist. Too much culture makes a sick animal. And think about everything she's been doing this whole season to try to get rid of those shakes and to act like nothing is wrong. But then that leads to my question with the whole fact of really building her up as an Upier. Like, she, they're like, oh, she's an Upier, so how could she also be a Vargal? But we still don't really and- know what Upier means on this show. Fair, fair. I read that like like the what the word was in the like legend and everything but like so far people throw that word around but we've never seen what kind of quote-unquote monster they are yeah i don't know i'm just saying shit but honestly it makes sense like she could be Or even even if she's not, like, there's there's definitely going to be consequences to her fighting so hard to not be a monster. Oh, for sure. Like, that's why Peter's so balanced, because he, like, accepts that this is a part of him, and he, like, lives fully as both. Hmm. Speaking of Peter, the next scene is at school the next day. And Letha is telling Peter that Roman is in a coma. And for some reason, 
Peter is mad at Roman for being in a coma. Because he's like, he's just a little bitch baby and is upset and he wants attention probably. He's like, maybe he wouldn't do things like this if you guys didn't stop letting, if you guys just stopped letting him do things like this. Like, bro, he didn't buy a new car. He's in a coma. Madeline, but Roman's just Roman. Listen, these two boys need to just bone and get it over with because they are so, they are worse than teenage girls. They're, They're just being hissy little babies because they love each other and I hate it. So then we're back in the dream and Roman is now walking down the same hallway at the school. It's like how it connects. And he sits down in a classroom. And he's watching a videotape of Letha dancing in a fountain. And um, then Letha's mom shows up and starts yelling about money being paid and then she like sticks her tongue out but it's a snake tongue and roman runs away and brooke is standing in the hallway with all her guts hanging out and she's like you said you'd give me a ride and then francis is like you did it you did it and he's having all these weird like disconjoined thoughts and then he runs out of the school and ends up in Peter's dream from from the third episode where he yells about the stupid birds. My favorite thing ever. Um, Stupid birds. They'll just fall from the sky. I don't know. So, but in this version of the dream, when that part where Peter freaks out, it's not Roman. Because when we first saw Peter's dream, we thought something happened to Roman. But then it turns out the wolf is actually past Roman. And Roman, mm-hmm. like, starts to laugh at him. And it's like, why are you so freaked out? And he's like, you and I were in this together. And then Peter says some real vulgar stuff that I will not repeat. Um, but basically calls Roman afraid, like says that Roman's afraid of what's happening. Um, oh, but they both refer to themselves at some point during this weird dream sequence journey thing, both Peter and Roman refer to themselves as scorpions. Yes. And I don't know why. I I honestly couldn't tell you either. Yeah. I thought he was trying to make a joke about being a Scorpio, but I'm like, no, that's not right. No. I mean, Scorpios are crazy, but like... I don't... 
I don't think so because they're both in both moments they're talking about things about blood and stuff and then they're like well maybe we're just scorpions but like I'm real confused about that because I I don't know what the connection between scorpions and, and blood is yeah also someone's car alarm's going off right now oh I can't hear it Okay. I was vibing out to it. Oh, oh it's over with. Oh, sad. Um, no. Then we see Peter sitting outside his house. And um, he does. Oh, wait, maybe I missed a scene. No, I didn't. I don't know where these scenes are because I did not take notes about them either time it happened. But so I'm just going to say it now for the remainder of this episode. Norman just kind of stops even pretending he's not with Olivia. Yeah. He like tells her he loves her and he stays the night and at one point he drives past his own house and doesn't stop. Like, and I didn't write notes on any of those moments because I just don't really care. It happened. Yeah, that was the thing. Um, so Peter does, is sitting outside his house and um, he is confiding to his mom that he just, he thought that something, there was something there with Roman because they had the same dreams. Poor Peter. Literally, it's honestly, I feel like I'm in New Moon. I'm in the New Moon part of the Twilight story right now with these two. But the thing is that they're not Jacob and Edward, they're like Bella and Jacob. Yeah, no, they're Bella and Edward. Freaking, it's not... It's not, they're not the two teams to be on. Peter is clearly Edward smoking. No, Peter is Edward. He broke up with Roman, who went crazy and put himself in a coma, like Bella and her weird motorcycle stuff. And then Peter is sulking and is like, I don't care about him. Just kidding, I really care about him. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh my god, I hate that. I hate that. I love it, but like I hate that. Like okay. You do you, but uh you're in love. Right. And uh Linda is trying to cheer him up like a good mom. Trying to make things better. Except for like, you know when your mom like wants you to feel better, but also like hates your ex and is like super glad that you guys are not together oh yeah it's like trying not to rub it in your face oh a hundred percent been there done that haven't we all yeah true um yeah so it's kind of weird awkward um and then clementine she's in this episode too much 
Yeah, I've I've had my fair share come in time this episode. I don't need her to come back. She can just get out of the season right now. Yeah. So she shows up and wants to talk to Olivia. And Olivia, and she's questioning Olivia about the all the blood and bodies and whatever found at the mill. And Olivia, God bless her, because uh, I am normally not on Team Olivia for any reason. But Olivia yeah, but goes... When it comes against Clementine, we are. Olivia goes, she calls her a see you next Tuesday and tells her that if she does not stop asking her questions that are a waste of her time, she can fuck right off. And that's what we love to see. We love it. And Olivia's like, get out of here. Like, While she's like interrogating her, her son's upstairs in a coma. But then... Oh, Clementine gets this little smug look on her face that I want to smack right off. She was like, I'll pray for him. And Olivia was like, you will do absolutely no such thing. And she was like, why are you afraid he might be saved? I hate it. How many times I need some saving before I go on through the screen? I just really don't like the depiction of like Christianity as this like anti-supernatural thing but like also as like an an ill-intentioned thing like it doesn't seem like Clementine and her priest friends are good people they're not doing it's like they're not doing this because they believe that they're doing the Lord's work they like are super sketchy it's like their it's like their personal agenda, but they're using their religion as a way to Yeah, and that's what I don't like. Like I I, yeah. I get that like okay, like I'm not talking like the priest from the exorcist here. Like I'm not talking about people who genuinely like are coming from a like good place. Good place, whatever that might be. And part of it is because we're watching a show where the protagonists, the characters that we're meant to like are the supernatural where it's not like we're watching like supernatural where like you want to root for Dean and and the supernatural is what they're fighting. This show is we're on the team of the people who are whatever supernatural creatures. Yeah. So I get that Christianity or religion or whatever won't necessarily be looked at as the the good guy but all the other religions religious elements that have been in the show have either been portrayed positively or neutrally whereas clementine and the priests are portrayed very negatively and i don't like it that's fair and like i don't oh god i miss these that's cute we're just gonna call this we're just gonna call this episode oh god i've got a sneeze oh god i got a sneeze um but i i that's the like that's the sucky thing is but i also don't think that it's to show like christianity is bad i think they're showing it because i think per like how i read clementine and the priest 
I don't see them because of the, the religion. I see them as people, and they're using our religion to justify their fucked up things. Right. That's I, just, what- I just hope that there's then some kind of balance to it Between- where, where there is some kind of redemption for the religion, I guess, if that makes sense, where it, yeah. it, where there is some kind of proof that it, they're abusing it, not not the representation of it. And I think there, I think that there will be, because I feel like we're going to learn more about them just being really shitty people and the fact that they're Christians are going to fall to the wayside because them being Christian doesn't justify who they are as people. Like, well, the thing because that- the thing is, they're supposed, they're the quote unquote, like the, the order of the dragon, which was a real Christian sect in the crusades. But let's be honest, the crusades are not necessarily the shining light of Christianity. Yeah. And so to be basing this cult off like a dark period is, yeah, I don't know. We're back to Roman's dream. And um, Shelly is like, you're running out of time. And a full moon starts coming towards Roman and he starts to freak out and he gets really, really scared. And I'm not sure if he's afraid of Peter or of the Vargal or of himself or what. Like he is very, very on edge about the full moon. And then he's back inside his house and there's a wolf in the house. So he picks up this medieval battle axe that would have been used in the Crusades to chase after this wolf. And then we hear Shelly screaming from the attic. So he runs up to the attic to like save Shelly and he kills the wolf. Only the wolf like disappears and Shelly disappears, and he's alone in the attic with Ashley, and she's naked and, like, throwing herself at him, and he's very uncomfortable, because I think, like, that's the moment where he realized, like, I done, that's, oof, because he has flashbacks to um what he did, and it's, like, not good. And then she calls him ugly, which is what he made her call him. And it gets real uncomfortable. And then it proceeds to get even more uncomfortable when suddenly naked Ashley is no longer Ashley. It is his mother. No, I prefer to not comment on this. I like to opt out on saying anything. So then we flash back to real life. We're just going to move completely on from all that. Flash back to real life. And Peter knocks on the door at the Godfrey house. And he has brought a little Ganesh statue to uh, give to Roman. And Peter seems to be the only one who, like, understands what is happening to Roman. Because he says, like, I brought this to him to like help him on his travels 
Because he's in love with Roman. Right. Um, and Olivia's like, hey, like, do you want to come upstairs and see him? And Peter gets so awkward. He's like, no, like, you know, I'm like, I'm really, I'm really bad at this. I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, me, me in any social situation. I'm really, <laughs> bye. Um, and Olivia's like, you know, like, maybe if he had met someone like you a long time ago, he wouldn't be in this position. And uh, Peter goes to leave the house, but then Letha shows up and they go sit on the hill outside the Godfrey house and just kind of sit there. That's kind of a cute moment. Um, until we find out that Clementine is taking pictures of them, like a creep. Also, before we get into Clementine being weird again, um, I do have to say that I feel like Olivia is changing for part, partially for good. Like, for, like, a, a better side of herself, because from her, the contrast between how she originally met Peter and how she is yeah. with Peter now. But I don't know if that would last. Like, if, if, if Roman wakes up, I have no doubt that she'll revert to being, like, she, at one point, she's sitting with Roman, and she's, like, crying over his bed, and she's, like, I've lost, like, you have no idea what the word sacrifice really means. You have no idea what I've lost. It's always just been easier to let go. But, like, with you, I can't let go. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that is, like, fear or an actual change of heart. Yeah. Um, so Clementine is taking creepy-ass pictures and stalking these children. And then she says but they're all just children. And that's what makes me think that she is, she could catch Peter or catch Peter, whatever she's trying to do a lot easier than she is actually doing because a part of her can't, like or part of her doesn't want to hurt him because he's a kid. But then at the same time, you sit there and you think about how he, she killed a woman who was pregnant. And she hated herself for it. Yeah. She did, like, you saw in the when she killed that pregnant lady how, like, how hard it was for her to do it because she was pregnant. Not because she was a werewolf, not because she liked her, but because she was pregnant. So I think that them being kids does bother her. Um, so then we have... Um, a scene with Dr. Price um, talking into his creepy little tape recorder and he basically says that if Roman remembers anything about the experiment when he wakes up, no one will believe him. And that's why he did what he had to do because no one can find out. Wait, didn't he say if Roman wakes up? Because he doesn't think Roman's going to wake up in this. He thought he was putting him in a permanent sedative state, right? No, he said when. He said, he said if he remembers when he wakes up. Okay. So it's not, he knows he'll eventually wake up. He just doesn't know how much of that, of the, the experiment he will remember. Yeah. Um, 
then we have a one final scene of Shelly writing like an angry letter in her um, computer about how she loves Roman more than anything, but she also hates him because he's doing this. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, listeners. It is 11.30 at night for me, and uh, it is a, it's been a long day. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then it ends with the scene of, like, Dream Shelly and Pete and Roman holding hands and getting into the creepy elevator to the attic, and then it just ends, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah. So Roman... Um, Roman is still not, like, awake. Yeah, he's still not awake. Um, I honestly didn't see him waking up after that. I'm like, oh, he's not going to no. love this episode. Um, because I think there's still a lot more to unpack in the yeah. next one. Um, I also believe that, um, that in a way, um, with, with what Shelly was saying at the end, I know me and you briefly had talked about it, but with what Shelly was talking about at the very end of the episode, um, and her, I don't know, I think it's just her coming across as, like, Peter, like, why, not Peter, Roman, why, like, why did you have to go out and do this to yourself? Like, I love you, but I hate that you do these things to you, because they may, they affect me, and now I'm left alone with Olivia. And one thing that she said, she said some people can love without complications, without hate, but you can't. And that kind of threw me off. Partially because while she was saying that, they were showing uh, Letha being enjoying uh, some uh, attention to her nether regions. By Wolf Boy. I mean, presumably. They didn't show him. They only showed the upper half of her body, and there was clearly a head in places but presumably it was him since they're like yeah, well, kind of dating now or something i don't know yeah also uh, uh this is christina also, kind of just fell off yeah i don't know what happened to christina but also lisa didn't look as pregnant this episode as she did last episode and that's just on people not understanding that when it comes to props and editing and stuff like that to make sure that things match up. I have to say the editing of this episode, particularly in the dream sequences, like the audio editing, was phenomenal. Yeah, that stuff was incredibly cool. I like, I even like the vi- like the visual editing of it with, because it it made me sick to my stomach because we're watching it over Zoom and there's a little bit of a lag. Yeah, but. There's also showing you, like, it's making you feel like you're just as disoriented as Roman is, visually. Because well, I would say, like, because, because it was on my computer, so I didn't have a lag. That wasn't a lag from the internet. That was the totally the way it was filmed. It was, like, that jarring. Um, well, that makes it better to know that at least I still got to experience it. I'm like, yeah, hopefully no, I'm not saying anything wrong. It was definitely, like... It was like really weird, like flashy and like ad- like echoey in places, but not all the time. And it was like every, but it was like at the transitions. Every time you went into a dream or out of a dream, there was like a lot of really, oh, weird, 
like delays and stuff. And it was, I really, really liked how that was done. Um, so for who were punched in the face this week, I know it's going to be a very easy decision. Clementine. Clementine, obviously. I don't. Yeah. I got nothing. Just want to punch her in the face. Yep. Oh, bam. I feel like we've we've stressed enough with every time Clementine is in an episode as to why we don't like her. She just is so like I feel like she's entitled. Like she doesn't have a she doesn't have any um, consciousness to un- understand to, under- to to understand that no one owes her anything. But she walks around acts and acts like people owe her things. Like no, I'm allowed to do this. Yeah, I'm with wildlife. I can come into your house whenever I want. You don't, ha- cause I am part of the like, what you're you're part of the Fish and Wildlife Services. But the- honestly, like, ooh, but oh, there was something I forgot to mention. Speaking of Clementine and throwing her off her game, man, I am on all the John Mulaney quotes tonight. What was going on? Um. <laughs> Olivia, when she tells her that she can F off, she's like, you can F off right back to Ohio. And Clementine stops and she's like, how do you know I'm from Ohio? Like Clementine does not want anybody to know anything about who she really is. Hey, don't, don't play, don't play games. But like, of course, the horrible person came from Ohio. Sorry. No offense to any of our listeners who may live or want to live in Ohio. It's a lovely place. Go Cleveland Indians. Like, I'm, I'm not, that's my team. That's my home dogs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, one time I was really, really tired and I had to drive the length of Ohio and I almost fell asleep like eight times. And it made me not really like it. That's cute. Um, but there is a Chick-fil-A in the Cleveland airport. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know. So, saving grace this episode. I have a strange one, actually. I don't know that you're gonna gonna get the mine. JR. Um you froze. Oh, did I freeze? You're you're back now, you're back. Now. Oh, okay. Technical difficulties. Um yeah, did you hear who my answer was? No. JR. Honestly, I could see that. I, I see I wasn't expecting JR, but I No, I told you it. you weren't gonna expect mine. I just there was so much happening this episode, and most of it was not necessarily positive, but I think like JR revealing what he revealed in this episode was like a huge step in Roman figuring out the truth. Oh yeah. So that's my my vote. 
You already know mine, because every time she's in an episode, she will always be my saving grace. My fucking love of my life, Shelly, who deserves so much more, because it just... And her scenes, it shows her innocence and how she tries to look at everyone with a positive light, even though they're not. No. And she tries... But now I got to see more of her character when it comes to her getting hurt. Like, yeah. when it comes to her getting hurt. And I think that that was a nice contrast to see for her character. Now, with your extreme love of Shelly, how do you feel about Dreamworld, Shelly? Dreamworld Shelly, I feel like, is not actually how Shelly is, though. Like, I, like, part of me thinks that's how she is, like, partially of how she is, but, like, I don't think Shelly would ever be like that with Roman. I feel like she'd be goofy and try and tell him straight, but I don't think she would do it in such a rude and abrupt way because Roman is the only person that genuinely cares and loves for Shelly. And I think Shelly No, I feel like if Shelly had a voice, Shelly would be a very different character. I mean, maybe. It could be that, too. I mean, because imagine, like, living your whole life never being able to talk. Like, that puts you in a position of, like weakness especially around someone like olivia who will talk for you even when you can talk yeah it puts you in a position of like weakness and needing to be protected that dream world shelly doesn't have yeah i mean that's fair that is all just things to ponder um lastly we usually talk about our predictions but we kind of went into a lot of them in the episode this time. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for for this episode, it was nice to have a nice, exciting episode. We're having another long episode come out, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, definitely. have just not been it. No. It was definitely nice to enjoy watching the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like, sometimes there were things that I feel like I might have missed because I was actually enjoying the episode so much that my notes weren't as careful, but yeah. Good episode. It was, it's nice to, hopefully it's on an upswing from here. Yeah, Um, let's hope. I think, honestly, as long as we're in this journey that Roman is on, Things will be all right. It's just a matter of what, where we go from there. But I don't think this journey is going to be lasting the rest of the season. So well, at some no, point, I highly doubt that. We still have five episodes left. Yeah. So we shall see. Yeah, Unfortunately, we are both very tired. <laughs> And, um, don't really have anything else to say. Yeah. Once again, we hope that you guys enjoy listening to us ramble on about what we think is right to film, um, the film, to television shows. And, um, I think we still have been doing a pretty bang up job, even though we've had to push through some really dry episodes, which I apologize for that. But, I mean, with every series, you have to expect, uh, period of time well and we did warn everyone at the beginning of all of this that the rotten tomato score was a uh, stellar oh 
fan-tabulous. Not that you can always trust Rotten Tomatoes because we all know how that goes when it comes to the Star Wars movies. Don't. Also, yeah. me, me and, I'm gonna let you guys know, me and M had recently watched The Rise of Skywalker. She watched it for the first time. We both were crying on Zoom. I've seen it four times. I still cry. I am. And I'm a very emotional person. We both are. The other night I called my dad crying and he asked me why my eyelashes look so good. And I said, Dad, they're not real. <laughs> I love that, first of all. And also, second of all, yeah, I really don't trust Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes gave like The Last Jedi almost a perfect score. And then The Rise of Skywalker had, like, a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, who do you think you are? Yeah. Like, was it, was it the best? No, but it was a hell of a... Yeah, you just... And I, yeah, yeah. Did I just, like, completely glitch out? Yeah, you did. So it was, like, just, like, weird audio echo- echoing. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll reinstate it. I said, the fact that The Last Jedi has a 56 on Rotten Tomatoes. No, I'm sorry. The Last Jedi had, like, almost, 90, like, in the... 96, 95? And 96 or 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. And a and The Rise of Skywalker had a 56. Like, The Rise of Skywalker was nowhere near, like, perfect. But it was a hell of a lot better than The Last Jedi. And I don't care what anyone says. Fight me on it. I'm right. I, I, I would right. have to agree. Thank you. Um, before we get Monica off onto a, a Star Wars tangent that I did not mean to start, um, just going to remind everyone to go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Death and Aliens. Um, we're also on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, I don't know, Anchor, uh, like six other podcast streaming services, basically everywhere you could listen to podcasts, except iTunes, we're not there yet, working on it. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MK underscore superstar spelled E M K A Y. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at Monica.Lynn underscore. And if you want to see me tweet or me and M go back and forth, uh, bullying each other on Twitter, you can follow me at M O N I E underscore Lynn double underscore because someone has stolen my identity. Yeah, mostly we're just I just roast her on Twitter, or come or talk about my job, or complain about yeah. the rain. And then I talk about five seconds of summer, and then accept Mary Kate bullying me. Yeah. Love it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.